So having heard once again the account of the birth of Jesus and the events that surrounded that first Christmas morning, I want to take us out about six weeks later to the temple in Jerusalem where Joseph and Mary have brought the baby Jesus to be dedicated according to the law of Moses. So if we just jump down to verse 22, let me read us verses 22 through 35. Now, when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant Depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, This child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. You know, I was thinking in all of the years that I have given Christmas messages, I'm pretty sure I've never spoken on this passage. But it's obviously connected. We have the the account of the, you know, like I said already, the the events that that surrounded the immediate uh, situation with the birth of Jesus. But but now this is just a, a few weeks later. And this, this prophecy of Simeon is so beautiful. The whole scene, as you might think of it. And, and think for a moment about Joseph and Mary. You know, think, think about, well, first of all, Mary. You know, the angel appears to her back in Nazareth and tells her that she's going to have a child and the child's going to be the son of God and... You know, how is this going to happen, Mary says. And the angel tells her the Holy Spirit's going to come upon her. And, you know, she says, um, 
you know, let it be to me as, as the Lord has willed. And, and then Joseph finds out that she's with child. He's perplexed. He's thinking he, he's got to, you know, put her away. Uh, and so he, you know, he's planning, he's trying to figure out how to do this, how to, he, he loves Mary, obviously, but yet, you know, apparently she hasn't been faithful. And yet, remember, the angel appears to Joseph in a dream and says, Joseph, don't, don't do this. Because Mary is pregnant, yes, but she's conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so the angel, you know, communicates all of that to Joseph. And then we know as we follow the story uh, a little time later, uh, Mary goes and visits her relative Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, in her old age, she is pregnant. And, and Mary comes and Elizabeth says to her, um, oh, to, to what do I owe this honor that the mother of my Lord should come and visit me? And then remember, Elizabeth says, uh, the moment I heard your voice, the moment I heard your greeting, the child in my womb leapt and blessed is the one who believed for surely those things are going to come to pass. You see, my point is this, Joseph and Mary, all of this, they're, they're really doing this by faith. I mean, you know, they know that it's happened, but has it really happened? And then even there with the, uh, with the angels uh, singing, the shepherds in the field, the shepherds come and they, you know, they're, they're marveling at the child. And all the way along, you see God confirming to them that everything that they had, you know, believed was happening was really happening. And now they come to the temple after the time of her purification. And so about approximately six weeks later, they come to the temple to do for the baby Jesus, just as all uh, would do for the young Jewish boys. And there meets them at the temple, this man. He's an elderly man, evidently. And just picture that. He takes the baby from them and he looks up into heaven and he begins to praise the Lord. Such an amazing story. And so, Simeon, let's talk about him for a moment. We're told here that Simeon was just and devout. He was a, a true believer. He was just and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. So he was a man who had longed for the promises of God to be fulfilled. And he's waiting for that consolation and notice what it says. It says that the Holy Spirit was upon him and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. So 
The Holy Spirit was upon this man. The Holy Spirit had revealed to him something. And now the Holy Spirit leads him at this moment to this place to fulfill that, that personal promise that he gave to him, that he would not die until he had seen the Savior. And so, Simeon, he praises the Lord. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. This man, um, he knew things that most people did not know. God had, had revealed these things to him. He, he knows. Now, remember, by this time, and it comes out more fully as Jesus grows up and begins his public ministry, by, by this time, the Jewish leaders had completely forgotten about the worldwide mission of the Savior. But not Simeon. He sees it. And notice, he says, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. It's really uh, a repeat of what the angel said, right? That good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. You see, by this time in history, the Jews had just become very um, myopic in their view of everything. And they, they just couldn't even see beyond themselves. But not this man. He realizes and he expresses that the salvation is prepared before the face of all people. Salvation, we talk about salvation, of course, very frequently. It is the great theme of scripture. But let's think of it with a different word. It means deliverance. And so Jesus is the savior, but he's also the deliverer. And he's the deliverer in the sense that he has come to deliver all people from the consequences of sin. And so he's, he's come as the deliverer to deliver from difficulties, from dangers, from disease, and, and ultimately from death. And every imaginable thing in between each one of these words or, or all that's implied in each one of these things. That's what he's come to do. He's come to deliver. And this is what God promised as far back as the Garden of Eden. You see, we know the story, right? When God creates the world and when he creates mankind, um, man and God live in harmony together. And it's a beautiful thing where there's, there's a relationship. And we read there in Genesis that it was in the cool of the day that the Lord would come into the garden and meet with 
Adam and Eve. But then we know the story as well that something happened. And, and this, this serpent entered into the garden and we know that the serpent was none other than Satan. And he tempted the woman and she uh, submitted to his temptation. And this, of course, brought disaster. But from that very moment, God's intention was to redeem that situation. And so God, in speaking to the serpent and pronouncing judgment upon the serpent, he said to the serpent, he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman's seed. He will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. That is Genesis 3.15. That is the first prophecy. But my point is this, think about how that goes back to the very dawn of time. So from the very beginning of this disastrous entrance of sin into the world, right from the beginning, God says, I am going to fix this. I'm going to send a deliverer. I'm going to send a savior. And then as we go along in the history, we come to a man named Abraham. And God gave a promise to this man, Abraham. And he said, I will bless you and you shall be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So as, as Simeon is, is speaking here, and he says, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. So God has been preparing for this moment from the very dawn of time a deliverer that's going to come for all people. And of course, he's going to save us from sin. He's gonna save us from sin. He's gonna save us from ourselves and know how we need to be saved from ourselves. He's gonna save us from Satan, this one who has wreaked havoc on the human race. And it just reminds me of that wonderful Christmas hymn, God bless ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to free us all from Satan's power. And that's what he has come to do. And can anyone look at the world today and say, we don't need saving? Oh, we need saving Badly, don't we? You know, man always lives with this false expectation that we're going to fix it. It's going to get better. You know, the First World War was called the Great War because there was never a war like it before. And what they had hoped and believed, there would never be a war like it again. But it wasn't too awful long after the end of that war that the second world war began, which was even greater in the death toll and casualties and destruction than the first war. And, and of course, after that, we have, you know, we're going to get the United Nations and we're going to make sure that we never do this again. And how many wars have we had since then? And how many do we have going on currently? 
and how much division and violence and hatred and all of that do we see all around us today? We'll never fix it. We can't fix it. Because the people trying to fix it are the problem. We're broken. And broken things can't fix themselves or other broken things. We need a savior. And so salvation that has been prepared for all people. And then this is the, the amazing insight with Simeon. He says, and a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. Again, see, at this time, among the, the, the leadership of the Jews, this was completely forgotten. They were longing for a Messiah, yes, but a Messiah was just a Jewish idea. I mean, of course, he would rule the world, but he would rule the world in a way that would give preference to Israel. That was the thinking in the minds of the people at the time, the leadership. But Simeon has this insight from the spirit that this child is going to bring light to the Gentiles. Now, the Gentiles are, is, a, is a reference, a general reference to all of the peoples outside of the covenant of God. And those outside of the covenant of God lived in darkness. And in the letters of the New Testament, Paul's letters, for example, he alludes to that many times. He says uh, regarding the Gentiles that they were formerly, in Ephesians uh, 2, he says this, he says, Gentiles were formerly uh, in, in this state. They had no hope and they were without God in the world. And once again, in Ephesians, he says, uh, speaking to the Gentiles, he says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So, so this baby that Simeon is holding, this baby is going to, to bring light, bring revelation to the Gentiles. And that is indeed what has happened the things we in our culture have taken for granted are the results, truly, of the light of the gospel coming to the Gentiles. You know, there's a British historian named Tom Holland, and uh, Tom specializes in Greco-Roman history, and he's been writing on you know, that, that subject for many, many years. And recently, in his research, and as he writes more, it's, it's pretty fascinating. Uh, he's not a Christian, but he is now coming to the conclusion, and he's stating these things publicly, that all of the wonderful aspects of Western culture, things like um, the dignity of human life and, and things like a particular sexual morality or uh, the freedom and dignity of women or charity and compassion, hospitals, healthcare, education, labor and economic freedom, liberty and justice for all. This guy, Tom Holland says, those things are not rooted like we once thought in Greco-Roman philosophy or thinking. These things are rooted in the New Testament and Jesus and Paul are primarily responsible for them. And people are looking at this guy going, what? What are you talking about? But he's saying, look, 
He has no, at this point, he has no vested interest because he's not a Christian. He's just saying, look, th- these are the facts. And it's absolutely true because that's what God intended to do. And that's what Simeon could see, that he would be a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. G.K. Chesterton said this regarding our civilization, Western civilization. He said, I believe that our civilization is not only founded on Christianity, but is in its very material and texture Christian. In other words, I believe that if there had been no Christianity at all, there would now be no such civilization at all. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. And so those things that we enjoy, those things that we take for granted, those things that we love, and those things that are to some degree rapidly disappearing right before our eyes, those are all due to this revelation that has come through Jesus to the Gentiles. But then he says, and the glory of your people, Israel. So the Messiah is to be the glory of Israel. That out of all of Israel's great men and women, out of all of the wonderful accomplishments that were made, uh, you know, through the nation in ancient times and even with the people in modern times. It's interesting to note in regard to the Jewish people. As of 2017, 902 people have been awarded Nobel Prizes so that, that's the total amount as of 2017. 902 people, 203 of them were Jews. It's really quite interesting. The Jewish population comprises less than 0.2% of the world's population, yet makes up more than 20% of the Nobel Prize recipients. Now, I, I just bring that up because, of course, the Jewish people today would be very proud of this, and rightfully so, understandably. And the Jewish people are, are very proud of the, you know, the accomplishments that have been made by their fellow Jews throughout history. But nothing even begins to compare with the glory of the Messiah. But of course, the tragedy is yet today, Israel doesn't recognize their Messiah. But all of the great men and women, and we'll talk about the truly great ones like Moses and like Abraham, the father of the nation, and like David, the great king, even as great as those people were, their greatness will pale in comparison to the greatness of the Messiah. And one day Israel will know what Simeon prophesied here, that Jesus is the glory of the people of Israel. That he is uh, the, the one that they 
can rightfully boast in. On that day, all Israel will see how far Jesus of Nazareth outshines all others. The glory of your people, Israel. And then Simeon, now having praised God, notice verse 33. And Joseph and Mary marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, listen what he said. Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Wow. This is heavy stuff. This child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. But you know, we can expand that beyond Israel because it's true in a more general sense. This child is destined for the fall of many because this child, as Isaiah prophesied, would become a stumbling block, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And many would stumble over him. And that's what has happened throughout history. That is what still happens today we find that people stumble at the name of Jesus. They stumble at the person of Jesus. They stumble at any references to Jesus. I mean, you know, there, there's a whole um, group of people today who love Christmas, but don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. As a matter of fact, they're just like, just don't, we don't have to bring up Jesus. Let's just have Christmas. Apparently not realizing that Christmas is Christ's day. That's what it means. But, you know, they like Christmas, <laughs> but, but they stumble at Jesus. And so it is. This, this child is destined for the fall of many, and specifically here in Israel. But like I said, we can broaden it. But he's also destined for the rising again of many. And you see, that's what happens. Jesus takes people who are beaten down and broken and he restores them. He builds them up again. He causes them to rise up from uh, the ashes. That's what he does. He will do that for Israel, but he, but he does it for people in general, doesn't he? That's, that's what this is all about. It's a restoration project. Jesus comes and he restores our lives. And those things that were robbed because of sin, he deals with that. And he builds us up again. But then Simeon said this. He said, the child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. A sign that will be spoken against. And as you read the early history of the church, the book of Acts, remember maybe uh, there at the end of Acts when Paul finally makes his way to Rome and he tells the, the Jewish um, community there, you know, why he's there, how he had to appeal to Caesar because he was being falsely accused. And he was wondering, have you heard anything about me? And they said, no, we haven't heard anything about you. But concerning this sect, 
we know that it is spoken against among all the Jews. Wow. A sign that will be spoken against. Now listen, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. What this is saying is that a person's heart is exposed for what it really is by their attitude toward Jesus. That, that's the reality. So you see, we have people who appear to be devoutly religious, but they have deep animosity toward Jesus. Their religion is false, it's fake, it's worthless. We, we have people who pretend to be kind and concerned and loving and compassionate and, and all of that, but their hearts are full of hostility toward Jesus and it, and it comes out. You see, that, that's showing what's really going on there. Their attitude toward Jesus it reveals what is truly in the heart. And Simeon said that that would be the case. And then he said finally to Mary, he said, yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Now, Mary, of course, did not know what that meant at the time, but she would know later. She would know approximately 33 years later when she was there at the foot of the cross and Jesus was there hanging on that cross. She would know then. But, of course, all of this light to the Gentiles and the glory of Israel and the salvation to all the nations, that's how it would be accomplished. And so this, as we pointed out before, this whole story is really the beginning of the salvation story that culminates on the cross of Calvary. And just to close, I want to go back to that word of the angels when they said this, the multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's the message. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. You see, when, when God is ultimately glorified, then we will have peace on earth. That, and that is the plan. God will be glorified and then the world will know peace. And that will be so because God's attitude toward men is an attitude of goodwill. You know, I'm, I'm so tempted at times when you see people who are obviously working hard against Christ and his kingdom. You hear sometimes people saying blasphemous things. And, and I'm so tempted at times just to get so angry about that. And, you know, you want to retaliate. You want to do something. And yet the Lord just reminds me, my will toward men is good, even toward those men. 
my desire is not to destroy, but to save. And I have to calm myself down and say, yes, Lord, I forgot that. But that's why, that's why you came into the world. You came to bring peace because your will toward people is good. God's will is good. In other words, that's, he wills good. That, that's what he wills. That's what he wants. He wants good. And he wants all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And that is all wrapped up in the one who was wrapped in those swaddling cloths. It's all wrapped up in Jesus. And so like the other Christmas song says, Yet in thy dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Isn't that glorious? The hopes and fears. All of our hopes, all of the aspirations of man, all those, those things that are still there even though they're they're blighted by sin and they're sometimes distorted, but, but they're there. Hopes for peace and goodness and love and, and those kinds of things, they're met. They were met in Bethlehem that night when the Lord came into the world. And those fears, those things that we worry about, those things that that discourage us, those things that keep us stressed out, those things that make us afraid. They were all dealt with that night in Bethlehem when the Savior came into the world. And, and as we know, the, the coming of Jesus was part one of the story that will culminate with him establishing his kingdom here on the earth over all of the earth. But in the present, it is a personal thing. See, one day, the, uh, the glory of the Lord is gonna cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. That's gonna happen one day. But we don't have to wait until then to receive the blessings that are being talked about here. The light to the Gentiles that brings us into a relationship and brings us into uh, the, the good life. We don't have to wait until then. It all begins right now for each person individually who receives that gift that God gave on that day. And so Christmas is the expression of John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Have, have life that goes on forever in its duration, but it begins now and it's a quality of life that cannot be had in any other way or through any other means. And so 
God bless you on this Christmas Sunday. And may these wonderful truths, may these things just sink down deep into our ears and bring us joy and peace and comfort and hope even when we see around us chaos and confusion and distress, to, to just know that there's peace that is personally available and the Prince of Peace will one day come and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. That's the promise. So Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word through your servant, Simeon. And just the things that we're being reminded of today. And so Lord, may these things go deep into our hearts and minds. And Lord, may they carry us through each day. Thank you for this day to just reflect on these things. But Lord, we thank you that these things are true every day. And we can take these truths as we carry on on this journey. And we can find strength and hope and peace through them. Lord, I pray if there's a single person here today that is yet to receive your gift of salvation, that you would open their hearts to receive now. In Jesus' name.